Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Uh, also, I'd like to thank everybody who's contributed to the 3CR station appeal. It's been a, quite a good result and we have, we're have we reaching almost our halfway target, so thank you again. If you haven't donated, there's still time. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate and you can make a donation. Also, we had a few problems getting guests this week, so I've dug back through the archives and we're replaying a show uh, that we recorded back in March 2017, so I hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm Bill. And each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. For the next hour, my guests will share their journey of recovery from the effects of someone else's alcoholism on the family. I'm joined by Brenda. Hi, Hi Bill. And Celeste. Hi, Bill. Who are members of the Alanon family groups, and they'll share their experience of living with an alcoholic and how Alanon has helped them cope. So, Celeste, most people don't really know about Alanon Family Groups and, and what they do. So I was just wondering if you could sort of share about how you found out about Alanon and you know, what was your experience in coming into Alanon and, and discovering that it could help you? Okay. Well, first of all, I was young, early 20s, and I was living in a shared house And I had a bet with one of the other guys in the house whether this boyfriend of mine at the time was an alcoholic or not. And he said, I think he is. And I said, I think he's not. So we had a bet. So I called AA and the person on the phone said, he may be, but we have something for you called Al-Anon. And I said, oh, will that help him? And they said, it may help him, but it will really help you. So I went along to my first Eleanor meeting, not really knowing what to expect, but I was ready to help this person stop drinking. So it was a small group of women, and I went in there, and they were friendly, and they were laughing, and they were happy. And I was very unhappy. So I knew that I was in the right place from then on. Right. It sounds very comforting. It was wonderful. Uh, it changed my life, literally. Mm. I didn't finish school. I went back to study. So, you know, my life increased and got bigger and better. Thanks. That sounds good. So, Brenda, how did you find out about Al-Anon? Uh, it took me 13 years to find out about Al-Anon. I had rung AA during the time of my marriage, um, but, of course, there wasn't any Al-Anon in the area that I had was living in, so I couldn't really take advantage of it until 13 years later. When I was brought to the program by a friend, I came in accidentally actually. I just went along because I was curious and realised from the first meeting that what I had lived with 13 years before was indeed the disease of alcoholism and I was absolutely jubilant and um, and I found the hugs hard at first because I wasn't a person that was very demonstrative but those hugs from those members just made all the difference. It's so welcoming, so warm and... Uh, yeah, so I found out through my best friend. Yeah, mm, thanks. Mum. Yeah, and what did she observe in you that made her think that Alan would help? 
because I had probably mentioned to her that my husband, ex-husband, that she never knew him, but I had mentioned that he had um, a heavy drinking problem. But, you know, I never thought of that as alcoholism because to me alcoholism was the derelict with the brown paper bag behind Flinders Lane in dirty clothing, homeless. So um, how could an architect be an alcoholic? But um, I also used to talk about I thought he had a personality disorder and and uh, she knew she knew that um, obviously I'd had experienced alcoholism, and uh, it's interesting to come into this program, Bill, and find out that what I had observed as a personality disorder was actually the behaviour of the alcoholic, changing from this charming man one moment to this like Mount Vesuvius the next, you know, erupting, and. Uh, but of course, alcoholism—that's what it does. It's a disease of alcoholism. It changes behaviour, and that's what became intolerable for me, and sent me to the point of madness. Yeah, thanks. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I found a similar thing growing up in an alcoholic home. Um, my dad was an alcoholic, and his drinking wasn't wasn't really a problem to him, but it was to me. His his change of um, nature when he drank, and his um, criticality. Um, and I guess he became very competitive with me as a person, that it was either him or me, and often, you know, if I'd walk into a room, he'd walk out and things like that. So it was a lot about control and manipulation. And I found I loved my father very much, but I hated what he was doing, and that's the thing. that When I got into Alan, I realised that his drinking wasn't the problem. It was my reaction to his drinking that was the problem, that, that the things I did in response to what he did was causing a lot of friction in our home. So, Celeste, did you find similar sort of things, that, that you were part of the problem? Yes, I remember my father was what they call a bender drinker, so he wasn't drinking every night, but he'd be drinking Friday night, Saturday over the weekend. And the way it affected our family, because it is a family disease... You know, it just doesn't affect one person, but it affects the whole family. And I can remember I my ear was attuned to the car coming down the drive and we all say, oh, here he comes. And, you know, was everything okay and everything was quite tense. So I grew up in a very tense um, household and with a lot of anxiety was the way it played out in my home. Yeah, so I've, I've heard people say at Alan meetings that the tension was so strong you, you cut the atmosphere with a knife, it was just that palpable. And I think that's the thing that we find in, in family situations with an alcoholic is that all the normal rules go out the window and you're dealing with this uncertainty all the time and it's always not sure what's going to happen next. So, Brenda, did you, what's, your, what's your experience with you know, that situation in the home, not really knowing yeah. the next what's what's going to happen next or who's going to do what next absolutely i experienced that definitely in that the seven year marriage it was only a brief marriage but um i was pretty heavily involved with three young children at the time as well but in running my husband's business for him as well um so i um i actually lost my identity in in the marriage because my focus was so much on the alcoholic and doing for him and making sure that everything was okay, trying to orchestrate the perfect house so he wouldn't get upset. But no matter what I did, there would be something, as you spoke about the criticality, that sort of thing, there'd be something to criticise, and so nothing I could do could make 
the situation perfect. But I virtually lost my identity and I may as well, I just completely attached to the alcoholic. I just cannot believe I disappeared virtually as, as a person because I wasn't even looking at my needs, uh, how I dressed, how I looked. Oh, goodness knows how I was in those last years. I just was all about trying to keep the balls in the air, trying to keep them juggling so that nothing would be out of place. And it just didn't work. There's always something out of place for an alcoholic because that's the behaviour that goes with this wretched disease. Yes, that's right. It's, um, and it's about control. The alcoholic's trying to control the situation so they can drink and we're trying to control the alcoholic so they won't drink. And so there's this conflict, constant conflict that, that occurs. So, Celeste, about control, what, what did you find in your relationship when you came in that you realised that something was wrong? What was the, what was the defining feature well, as I said, I called AA and I um, lost the bet, so I was really upset from the get-go. Um, but then I had this boyfriend that I thought couldn't possibly be an alcoholic because he was attached to me, and I couldn't possibly be with an alcoholic because, as Brenda said, they were in the park, they brown paper bag, a lot of negativity towards them. And so I had this, I've got to save this person, so... I wasn't really controlling things like some people would do, watch how much they're drinking. I never tipped the alcohol down the sink or anything like that. But I was trying very hard to, you know, not to be controlled by him. So that was, you know, a sort of good thing. So... In a way, when I went to Eleanor meetings, he was free to drink, so he was happy that I went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, I, I've, I've heard of other people who've, um, the alcoholics said, oh, I think it's time for you to go to your meeting, you know, <laughs> and, uh, which, is, which is pretty funny uh, in real terms, but yeah. um, because the, you know, the benefit is there for them. And I think with my father that once I stopped obsessing about what he was doing and not doing, then he was able to live his own life without this person, you know, telling him what to do. And I, I was in my early 20s, I guess, uh, coming into Al-Anon. My dad was in his 60, early 60s, and I was like, you know, why would, why, how would I know what he should be doing in real terms? But that's sort of what happens when you're living with an alcoholic, that you, you, the roles sort of get reversed, that the children are managing adult issues, and you sort of get confused and you sort of, it, it's just normal to take over from what someone else is doing because you know they won't be able to succeed or something like that, or you know they'll make it worse. And just by doing that, you're, in real terms, enabling them to continue drinking because you're stopping them suffering the consequences of their behaviour. So, Brenda, what's... I'm what really think? relating to the adult children story, and yet my, both my parents were sober people they had a shandy if you know in a very very t- a touch of beer and a lemonade that was all over I saw my parents drink and yet I did have a teenage hood from 14 to 21 where I was actually con- trying to control my parents relationship because I sensed a tension in the air the tension you were speaking about before speaking about before that tension that kind of I would I didn't want to go home to my ha- ha- parents home because there was a tension there and I could never identify it 
And I, uh, I tried to control my dad's behaviour, so I declared war on my mother and tried to rescue my father because she used to, I think, boss him around, make him do this, do that, until I found out at the age of 21 that my father and mother, it, that was their arrangement. My father was a compulsive gambler that my mother controlled because she got his unopened pay packet each fortnight and gave him 10 bob to, to gamble with. She controlled it. He had mental breakdown issues as well. And, you know, there was I for seven years trying to change my parents' relationship. And yet, and there's alcohol, both sides of the family and the compulsive gambling. So mm. I didn't have a hope. And then I go into the, into the arms of an alcoholic and I try to rescue him. Wow. Mm. So yep. my behaviour started way before I married the alcoholic. I'm a rescuer. That's yeah. my disease. Yeah. Yeah. So, Celeste, your father, you realise your father was an alcoholic as well. And so that sort of takes you back into, as Brenda was talking about, children of alcoholics, mm. adults who've grown up with alcoholic parents, some haven't even realised they're alcoholic. And then in their you know, early 20s or later, I've even heard of people as, you know, as old as 60 and plus who've realised that their parent was an alcoholic. And until they come into Alan for some other reason, like one of their children's alcoholism or something, they haven't realised that their parent was actually an alcoholic. So what was it like with you growing up in an alcoholic home? This is an interesting point. This is very interesting. It was only when I was in Al-Anon for years, I came in, as I said earlier, with uh, a boyfriend who was an alcoholic. Had no idea I grew up in an alcoholic home. I think because I had that image of an alcoholic brown paper bag the whole, you know, trench coat idea, someone dirty, not my father. And it was tricky because during the week, Monday to Thursday, everything would be good. Friday, Saturday, weekends would be tricky. But it was only when I came into Al-Anon and started questioning my childhood that I thought, well, hang on a minute. Who was drinking all the beer bottles that were lined up on the back wall? Well, I thought it was great gig when I was a kid because we used to, in those days, we used to sell them and get money. But it never occurred to me who was drinking them. I never could see what made my father change when I was young. But obviously, drinking did not suit him. So there was arguments, there was domestic violence. So it wasn't a good thing. So. I never under, fully understood when I was in that home what was the major problem until I was an adult. Mm, yeah. It's funny you mentioned the bottle-o. Uh, yeah. That was we, we made a lot of money out of returning bottles to the bottle-o. Um, and you realise, how much did we drink to get the, the small reward? <laughs> we used to have a stack along the side of the house and it was, you know, I don't know, once a month or once every two months the bottle-o would come and it's just, you know... Remembering back to those good old days. Um, yes, interesting. Well, it's, it's nearly time for a song, and I thought we might have an interesting one on here that I came across, uh, which is um, a song called Lady Luck by Liz Stringer. It's quite a long song, around five minutes, but um, it's quite interesting and a bit relates a bit to the topic. Here we go.
Melbourne's local documentary film festival is going online and nationwide from the 30th of June until the 15th of July. Canvassing an eclectic range of documentaries from South by Southwest, Slam Dance and Tribeca to Music, video games and true crime, with over 55% locally made in Melbourne and across Australia. Check it out at www.mdff.org.au. Prices start from $8 a stream. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Every Monday from 11am on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then head to your preferred podcast platform or go online to 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Uh, today I'm talking with Brenda and Celeste, um, and we're talking about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon family groups. One of the things we talked about while we were off air was about alcoholism doesn't exist in isolation. Most alcoholics and most families where an alcoholic's present, there's other things like drugs, there's gambling, there's other sort of behaviour that brings us in conflict. So I was just wondering if Celeste, you'd like to give us a bit of a, or share some of your experience on what it's like living with an alcoholic who's also got other other issues going on. Mm. It is tricky. It's very tricky. Not only with my experience was the alcohol, but it was also the drugs. And I hadn't realised how much the drugs were involved. In fact, I remember when this chap moved into the house we were sharing, I was very naive. I was very naive I thought I was very grown up and knew a lot, but when looking back, I was, as I said, early 20s and not knowing anything. But when this man, young man that moved into this house and then later became my boyfriend, when he moved in day one, we were helping him move in. And he had a little box of, or tin, they were, of strepsils. And I opened the strepsils and looked inside and there was a syringe and I thought, oh, the poor guy's uh, diabetic. <laughs> oh. I never saw that needle again or syringe or any evidence of any drug taking. There was some, you know, marijuana and things like that. But I had no idea just how much the other hard drugs was going on. And... That was part of it too that I didn't realise he was an alcoholic because he was drinking through the day and I was working. So it was only when we got home that I'd see the drinking 
in the evening or smoking a pot in the evening. So I didn't see a lot and I was terribly naive. But Al-Anon's a great teacher on this. So it taught me a lot of things like alcohol and drugs, alcohol and gambling, alcohol womenizing, alcohol overspending, alcohol and being very tight. You know, some alcoholics are very, very tight with money. So that affects a whole family. That affected my mother. You know, the the money, there wasn't, there was always enough money for booze, but there was never enough money for a new couch. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I can remember my mother went to work and um, it's progressively my dad could sort of work less and less because he, he had a back injury as well and he worked as a motor mechanic and it was, you know, quite, quite difficult um, for him to retain a job having to do heavy lifting and things. And so mum had gone to work from when I was in grade three, I think. We used to come home lunchtime, let ourselves in and make lunch and then go back to school. But um, just the fights over whose money was buying which item... And it was always, mum was always saying it was her money and dad was always saying it was his money. And it was just this, oh, you know, as, as kids, you know, it's a very difficult thing to watch your parents argue about whose income is most important to the family when really, you know, the concept of a family is that it's all one thing that, you know, yeah. Yep. So what, what's your, how'd you find that, Celeste? Oh, that was, a, you're right, that was a very interesting one. My mother also went to work and she went to work the day I started school and I think part of the reason was because then she could have her own money she always wanted to have a nice house so I think really the only way that she knew that she was going to get a nice house if she worked and she had the money to control the idea of having a nice house so that was that and so a bit the same you know she was never home when we finished school so we'd open one of the back windows, put your hand around the back door and get in that way. And then she'd come home maybe five o'clock. So there was no one at home. So when we say alcoholism is a family disease, and it really is, Mm. it really is just not the alcoholic, but it's everyone. My siblings are affected as well in different ways. And, yeah, it's interesting. But the money is is a tricky one. Yeah, Yeah, that's right, yeah. Because a lot of it goes on alcohol, and you know the other the partner gets really cross, and you know, often when you look at an alcoholic family, it's difficult to tell who the alcoholic is when when there's a fight because they're both really they're both off their head, and you know we had some zingers of fights in our place, and um, it's really you know it's as a child, often the best thing to do was just to retreat to your room, get out of the way. Because you didn't want to be the meat in the sandwich. You'd, and invariably, children have to take that position of being on one side or the other. And that's a very difficult you know, thing to do to a child, to, to get them to line up with one parent or the other. And that was, that was a very hard thing for me to do as a growing up, was to be on someone's side. And in the family, you always had to be on someone's side. You could never be neutral. If you're neutral... They both hated you, which is sort of worse. So it was always this negotiation of whose side you'd be on, um, and that yeah, you know, that's not a it's not good for growing up. That's for sure. So Brenda, what um, how did you find situations in the family where competing priorities, I guess, with the alcoholic? Mm-hmm. Well, specifically in my marriage to the alcoholic, I 
I think my, my case isn't unique, but it's different from a lot of people. I didn't nag the alcoholic. I didn't put water in the alcohol. I even occasionally bought alcohol for him. Um, but what what those occasions when there wasn't enough money to buy food, and he was a man that could earn quite a good wage or salary, um, I, I, I remember being staggered one night when we had bills piling up and he came home and had a few to drink and he'd bought a new television. That was pretty well most of his week's wages that week. And I remember my mouth dropping open, but I was too scared. I was the, I was fearful. My mother had left me with one tool prior to my marrying my husband because she didn't want me to marry him. And she said, Brenda, never argue with a drunk. And so I took that as being gospel and I didn't. And that actually was possibly the downfall why I went to the point of madness because I wasn't able to express any feelings. I buried them all and they became resentment. I eventually did blow, but it took me some years. But, you know, I, and I would allow those. I wouldn't even object because to object was to create another eruption. Mm. And I knew that. So I had to have peace at any price. And the price was almost my sanity. You know, so without without an Al-Anon program, without any clue of what I was dealing with, uh, except don't argue with a drunk, was my mother's words, that's how I dealt with my marriage. I was a pacifist, totally. Mm. And yeah, I, I think it affects each, each person differently depending on how they've experienced life to date. But basically, in an alcoholic family, the rule book's thrown out. Mm. What The rules that work outside don't work inside the alcoholic family because... You've got this volatility that you're not sure which way it's going to go. And so you just sort of hedge your position and just hope. And um, a lot of the things that I found was that you'd try and fly under the radar a lot and not get noticed as a kid. And the other one was people-pleasing, which... And it was about trying to influence the other person's view of you so that you get... It would be favourable, because if you if it was unfavourable, there, there were consequences. So I just found that it was easier to have a different persona to different people just to be able to get on with them so that my life was a bit easier but that doesn't that doesn't translate into the outside world very well they're not good life skills we become brilliant actors yes. i think we become yeah. brilliant in, in a lot of a lot of actors you find have the background of the adult child or have the disease themselves sometimes but we um i became a chameleon i would just bend and this is not just the alcoholic with most people around me, it took me to come to Al-Anon to actually discover that I had the right to say no. I had to learn how to say no at the age of 43. That I had the right, I had choices. I could make choices as to what I wanted. I didn't allow myself those choices up to that age. So uh, I'm still growing up in Al-Anon. You know, I'm probably only in my 20s now, <laughs> and I'm actually 70, but I, I'm in my 20s because I was emotionally retarded because yeah. of this disease yeah. I wasn't didn't mature in a healthy way because I had parents that weren't able to give me what I needed they weren't emotionally available they weren't able to give me the tools I needed to cope with the outside world um, especially the world living with an alcoholic so um, Al-Anon has given me all of that mm. all of that and yeah. still gives to me so yeah. I'm still growing up Bill it's wonderful yep. <laughs> yeah well um Celeste, you mentioned before about becoming a bit more independent once you got into Alan and were able to go back to study and 
you know, have your own life. So how did you find you know, that transition to independence, realising that you had the right to do something mm. that you wanted to do? This, is, this, was, this was brilliant for me. When I was with that alcoholic boyfriend, I lost myself. My whole focus became on how to get him not to drink. I wouldn't do anything about it, but I just lost myself. My whole attention was looking at him, what was his needs. I was a young girl. I didn't know when he left. He left finally. He left me, which was, thank God. I didn't know what I liked anymore. Before that, I knew what suited me, what colours, what style. I remember going shopping, had no idea what suited me. I would then go to dinner with someone and couldn't make any choices of what to eat or where would you like to go. You choose. I don't care. Uh, I don't know. So I didn't have any, you know, opinions. Uh, I just went with the flow, just did what, you know, I would do what you wanted because it was easier. Yeah. Um, then I did get into Al-Anon and it changed. I started to know what I liked, who I am, what I wanted. I didn't finish school and then I got into Alan and my confidence went up. And I remember at a meeting one time and there was someone in the meeting, they were opening the meeting and I thought, oh, maybe one day I could do that. I thought that would be a big challenge then, that I could actually do that. And so down the track when my confidence got better and better, I actually did that and I thought, oh, that's a stepping stone. And then over time I went back to studies. I didn't finish school, wasn't a good student, had no, absolutely no idea of concentration. How could you? I was brought up in this home that was very anxiety-provoking, fearful, angry, so it was a real turnaround for me to come into an Al-Anon program, learn what I needed to learn, then go on to study. And um, I hold that diploma in my heart for me as recognition of this program. Mm. Yes, it's, um, it, I guess it's becoming a whole person. It's feeling like a member of society rather than some person who's not allowed to, who, who doesn't have any rights and um, I think that's a the thing that you sort of realise that it's it's you're you're not the important one, but you're equally as important as, as everybody else. That you you have a right to a, a good life instead of just having to endure this repeat. It's like Groundhog Day. Every day is the same. With you know, it, it, your father's going to come home and he's going to drink and he's going to there's going to be a fight at dinner time and he's going to go out to the garage and he's going to drink and he's going to come in at. 8.30 or 9 o'clock and he's going to abuse people and then everybody's going to go to bed. And then you get up the next morning and he's remorseful and can't eat his breakfast and goes off to work. And then it starts the same thing. It's just this repeat over and over. And it's, um, you know, you don't feel like your self-worth is very low and I think Alan just helps you get to the point where you feel like you're worthwhile and you can you then get confidence to go and do something else, try something else, um, which is you know, a really nice way to be. So, Brenda, did your kids find they needed to go to Alan? 
Uh, um, there were 13 to 19, the three of them, when I came into Al-Anon. Um, I did happen to say to my daughters after being in the program about four years that they needed Al-Anon and the, re- re- the reaction was overwhelming. I never said that again <laughs> and um, I, n- I never will say it again um, because um, they were very indignant. But I would love them to find this program. But I guess they've they've got it through me. They see me uh, living the program. They see me go to my meetings. I don't question why I go to my meetings. They know that mum travels better when she goes to meetings. And I just don't stop going to meetings. So I travel pretty well all the time. I guess that's enough of an example to them if they find later on that they're either in an alcoholic relationship or issues are coming up for them. They know where to go to seek the help. I know that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, sadly they haven't got the program. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm an Alateen sponsor, Bill, and that's an absolute joy because um, to see young people the age of 12 and 13 coming into the program and getting this program early, it's, it's gold. Yeah. So by the program you mean understanding alcoholism and how what they can yeah, do. Specifically yeah. understanding that they, don't, they didn't cause it. Dad or mum drink because they have a, a disease. Yeah. And that's so important because young people, often they're told by parents, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't drink. If you did this, I wouldn't drink, you know, you kids, whatever. And that's the first thing they learn, and that's really important. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Thank you very much. So I think we'll cut to a song, and this one is called Red Roses by Sue Ray. Easily. 
If you care for a friend or someone in your family with disability, a medical condition, or who is elderly, Carer Gateway can help you get free support. Carer Gateway has lots of services to help carers. There's counselling, financial and peer support, and online courses that you can do at your own pace. They also have respite services to help you look after the person you care for while you take a break. Call Carer Gateway on 1-800-422-737 or visit the website carergateway.gov.au. A 3CR supporter. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law, 6pm Tuesdays. So you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and streaming live on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming if you want to listen to us that way. Uh, today I'm talking with Brenda and Celeste, um, and we're talking about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon family groups. As we started the last break with, alcoholism doesn't exist in isolation. Um, alcoholics need other people involved because if you're a drinker, there's two parts, insanity or death, unless somebody helps you keep on living, basically. Um, and we're the ones who often support the alcoholic or um, prop them in in some way so they don't face the consequences of their behaviour. And one of those things is relating to the problems they get into. So Celeste, you've had a bit of experience with some prisons and illness with your alcoholics. Can you share some of those with us? Oh yes, that was one I do remember. So this boyfriend at the time, you know, he was a bit of a character and so there was a, he broke into someone's house with a maid of his and stole this man's driver's license and i think someone's car but the police pulled him up and um went off to jail and so i got a call to come down to this prison you know this jail and he slips this driver's license into my bag that i hadn't didn't know was there so i thought oh my god what's this you know and then that was one thing, and I think they, I don't know what happened after that. I think he did go to prison with that for a little while. And then I had to go and bail him out. So I had this money. I wasn't earning great, you know, I didn't have a job that was paid extremely well. So I 
Anyway, I had this money and I had to go and bail him out. And I do remember it being a bit of a sum. But when I got to the bail officer, it, you know, the embarrassment that goes with this sort of stuff, it happened to be my next door neighbour when I was growing up. And I went, oh, no. And he just said, oh, hello, Celeste, how are you? And I thought, you know, Brenda mentioned earlier, we are great actors. So I just said, oh, I'm fine. In my life, everything was fine. This was far from fine. So I bailed him out on the um, prison and then driving home he said, stop here, pull the car over, stop here. And I looked over and, of course, it was a bottle shop. What else would it be? (laughs) What else would it be? He'd been in prison and he needed to get out and get a drink, so we did that. Then another time he had drank so much that he actually, I think it had an ulcer, but he said he was coughing up blood. So then I remember taking him to emergency, probably the Alfred, and, you know, having to be worried about what was this? Is this something very, very serious? And I don't know if they suggested perhaps it could be drinking, but um, anyway, he went on drinking the next day like that was the next thing to do, you know. It took me a long time to understand alcoholism as a disease and I think at some point I realised you've been in prison you've had an ulcer you're bleeding and yet you're still drinking no thinking person would be doing that so those are the things that Alanon helped me to understand that it was a disease and it had consequences but I was mm. I was I felt so much shame about that and you know it is not my problem, it is his problem. Yeah, that's right, yep. And we can do something about our response to the alcoholic, but we can't do anything about the drinking. Um, we didn't cause it, we can't cure it, we can't control it. That's, you know, that's 101 in Al-Anon. But we learn that we can make a difference by the way we respond. And before I came to Al-Anon, every response was a reaction. It was a knee-jerk reaction. It had to be done now, and I had to do it. And that's really where the whole thing broke down. Once I realised I really didn't have to do anything, Mm. and what I thought of doing first was certainly probably the worst thing to do, the worst action, and just learning that I, I could just take a step back and I could have a think about it and think, was what I was going to do going to make it better or worse? And it was usually going to make it worse because that was the sort of the reaction that... Um, growing up in an alcoholic situation, I found that I tried to get back at people for what they'd done. I and mean, this is this distorted thinking. So Al-Anon's sort of pretty well available these days. And I was just wondering with um, Brenda, do you want to talk about you know, Al-Anon in Australia? There's groups all around Australia? Groups all around Australia. Um, I know specifically in Melbourne there are 60 groups across Melbourne. So what's that? Meetings every day? Meeting. There's a meeting every day, yes. Um, and they're only 90 minutes, but look, if I could just get a message out to people that if, if they are, um, I suspect that they are suffering from living with this disease, I didn't. I haven't used this program to help me with an alcoholic. My alcoholic had gone out of my life 13 years. But if there is an alcoholic in people's lives, Al-Anon meetings will give you the tools you need to help you cope with living with that alcoholic. And um, 
we have a special number we we ring bill the 1300 number which you'll give later just a matter of ringing that number and asking where there is a meeting in your area or if you want to go out of your area you feel you don't want to be meeting people you might know there are meetings in other suburbs it's um you know it's prolific mm. through, throughout melbourne yeah. yeah thanks um i guess the other thing is if if they ring the the helpline we call it um then they can talk to somebody as well and get an understanding of the yeah. problem and you know, talk about their yeah. problem and understand how Al-Anon could help them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And mm. um, and it's it's great to be able to help people in that respect because uh, you get some very distressed people that um, just want to talk and then you can refer them to a group and you can't make them go. You can only suggest and you'd like to think that most of them take that opportunity because mm. um, you are, you're offering them a... a a way, a way to, um, to be able to deal with the insanity that they're living with. And it is insanity. Mm. You know, the behaviour of the alcoholic is madness and so is your behaviour in the situation. My, my, my behaviour particularly was um, by not doing anything, by, not, by just sucking it all in and, and I don't know, as I say, I just lost my identity. But um, thank God, through, because of Al-Anon, I'm sort of able to... As you spoke about, um, I don't react anymore. I don't react to situations. I've got so much Al-Anon under my belt. I I stop myself. I can feel the reaction coming. Don't get me wrong. It's there. It's a trigger. But I can just grab a slogan or something easy does it. Just say to myself a phrase like that. And I can actually do something else rather than do whatever I was going to, that reaction was. Mm. And sometimes it means doing nothing. Just... It's amazing how, to me, it's a behaviour modification program. For me, it was it changed my behaviour completely, completely, and uh, and I can take that into my everyday life. I don't live with alcoholism; haven't for forty years, but I still have relationships with other people, my adult children, uh, those nearest and dearest, and I can use this program to keep those relationships healthy, keeps me from wanting to rescue them and yep. fix them and yep. control them and manage them. Yep. That's my disease. Yes. And I arrest it a yep. day at a time. I don't pick up the next dose of Brenda thinks she's God again, off she goes. Yep. No. I'm just a humble human being. Thank you. Yeah, now, now, Celeste, I also understand that you um, went to Alan on overseas. Oh, yeah, which was amazing. I had a break from Alanon. I left Australia and was living overseas and I wasn't quite right and I was feeling just not right, just very unhappy, a bit isolated and I didn't know what was wrong. And I thought, oh my God, I have to get myself back to a place where I was happy. What was I doing that made me happy? No, it wasn't the gym, it wasn't the shopping, it wasn't the movies, but what was making me happy? And I thought, oh, it was those Al-Anon meetings that I used to go to. So I got back into Al-Anon and my life just got better and better and better. And because it's a worldwide fellowship, I was living in Europe and then I had, I was went to Washington actually for a little time and found meetings there. So it's just not in Australia; it's in countries all over the world. Mm. You know, it is fabulous branch. So when I'm travelling, I try to hook up into an Al-Anon meeting, 
And it's just a fabulous way to realise that you're a small part of a worldwide fellowship. Mm. Yeah. So what about language barriers travelling? Did you come across any? Uh, No, because in the country I was actually in was France, but we had English-speaking meetings. Wow. Which was fabulous. We had French-speaking Al-Anon too, but we had English-speaking Al-Anon. And not only that, we had people from all different countries. So our meetings were very colourful because we had Americans, yeah. Australians, Germans, Italians. We just had a, a mixed pot. So that was that was lovely as well in recovery. Yeah. And I think the thing that you notice that when you do travel – I was in the States a long time ago and went to some Al-Anon meetings – and the thing that I noted was the similarities that it didn't matter where you came from, what society you came from, they, the alcoholic created the same sorts of problems in the family and the family responded in the same sorts of ways to the alcoholic. And so people were sharing you know, their experience of living with an alcoholic and it was just like you know, the same as me. You know? and, and I think that's the thing that... Uh, you find that you identify with people who are quite different to you because they've had similar experience. And it's a really, it's a very, um, well, it's a bonding experience, I guess, to know that other people have had that experience and what I had wasn't unique to me. It was just a symptom of living in an alcoholic situation. Yeah. So, Brenda, yeah. you know, do, do you find that too? Have you, have you travelled probably around Australia at least? Travelled to Queensland <laughs> as far as I got to Harvey Bay, I think, and um, yeah, it was. Yeah, I may as well have just gone to the next suburb because you know it was the same sort of, exactly the same sort of feeling. The same uh, as I say, you get a lot of love and strength and hope from people. We're all sharing all those things. Travelling. That's as far as I've travelled. I haven't travelled any further than Harvey Bay. But right. That's about it for me. <laughs> Celeste. Oh, that reminds me of something I I learned that no matter where you go, you take yourself with you. So the idea of doing the geographical, I mean, I left Australia with with all these feelings and I took them to Europe. They didn't change because the distance had changed. So something in me needed to change. So I would just suggest to anyone out there who is suffering, there is hope. Yeah. And it will change your life. I had no idea that my life would get this good. And the best is yet to come. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The other thing that I found too was that um, having somebody in your family who you think would benefit from Al-Anon but doesn't go, and I'm talking here about my mother, who lived with an alcoholic for another 25 years in the day-to-day battle with an alcoholic but didn't want to go to Al-Anon because she wouldn't call my father an alcoholic She'd call him lots of other things. She wouldn't call him an alcoholic because that was just so terrible in in her view. Um, and the thing that I found was that I had as much difficulty accepting the fact that she wouldn't go to Alan. She wouldn't get help for herself as I did accepting my father's drinking. And I think that was about respecting their right not to do anything. You know, respecting the right of the alcoholic to be an alcoholic and respecting the right of the family members not to do anything if they don't think that's right for them. Um, so, but it is it is hard watching people suffer in in the home, but they're not prepared. They're either too scared, or I don't know what it is, but they just won't they just won't do it. And my mum used to say she wouldn't talk to other people about her problems, and I thought, goodness, you know, 
I remember taking my mother to an Al-Anon meeting. At this stage, she'd remarried, and she got up and spoke at the end, and she said, oh, it's wonderful for these young people. <laughs> and I gave her one of the books of Al-Anon, and she put it on the bookshelf. But her partner, I think, felt embarrassed about it. And I think this is where education needs to come in, that alcoholism is a disease. You know, they don't do it because they like to do it or wanting to do it to hurt you. It is a disease. And if, you know, if I need to call someone a problem drinker, and that may be good enough. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what you call mm. them. Yeah. It's interesting, Bill. Um, I had difficulty calling my husband an alcoholic even after coming into the program until many years later um, his belongings were sent to us and we found a poem. He used to write poetry. And the line of the poem, one of the poems was, and my daughter pointed it out to me, and from the amber fluid I cannot abstain. Mm. I thought he was an alcoholic. Because mm. they say an alcoholic needs to admit himself that he's an alcoholic. We don't label them. Yeah. But I thought, wow, he actually admitted it, but did nothing about it, but yeah. died as a, virtually as a derelict, really. Yeah. Okay, well, um, so if you um, are interested in contacting Al-Anon, Al-Anon family groups, and if you think they'd help you living with the or cope with living with the effects of problem drinker, then you can contact them on 1300 252 666 or you can check out their website, alanon.org.au. Well, I think that's probably all we've got time for today. Thanks to our guests, Brenda and Celeste, for sharing their Al-Anon recovery stories and their experience. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Bill. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from gambling addiction and we'll be joined by a member of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, thanks for listening to Living Free program today and stay tuned now for another great show on 3CR. Community radio is your antidote to social isolation. Stay connected and listen to 3CR. 855 AM, 3CR digital and streaming and podcasting online at 3cr.org.au. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you yours. to all What's of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377.